You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Every industry is going to change this decade. Not a little bit, not a few, every industry. Every single industry is going to be reinvented, reinvented. New business models, new approaches, new players, right? Healthcare and education are going to topple under their own weight. So how should people kind of prepare for this from a career perspective? So someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I'm driving to my cubicle at Procter & Gamble. Every, not only is my job gonna be eliminated, but every other possible career choice I could think of is being eliminated. But obviously people are gonna have jobs. How do people prepare? We have the same answer to this, I think, which is, did you steal mine or did I steal yours? I'm gonna steal both yours, by the way, and not give any credit at all. So, so give it up right now. What a great episode you are about to listen to. I was so excited. My brain was like on fire. The episode is with my good friends, Peter Diamandis and Steven Kotler. Both of these guys have an interesting take on health, the human body, how technology will help us optimize, and so many other interesting topics. I just love talking to them. And 
I'm happy Athletic Greens is sponsoring this particular podcast because I personally take and like Athletic Greens because they cover all the really advanced areas of health that I started to think about only in the last few years as my knowledge and understanding of health has grown and been reshaped by this podcast. So I'm really thankful that Athletic Greens is actually the company that inspired my health revolution. I mean, I take this every day and I just feel like I have so much energy. People always ask me, how am I so productive? And I don't even think about it, but I really think having all these nutrients through Athletic Greens has helped me considerably. What it is, is they're the most complete whole food supplement available. It has 75 ingredients working together to help with 11 different areas of health. It has everything from prebiotics and probiotics for digestion, as well as adaptogens, stress, and hormone support. It has everything I need to ensure my body and mind is in top shape every single day. And this product isn't just for athletes, it is for anyone who wants to be on top of their game. That's why I've really outsourced my health and nutrition to Athletic Greens. So if you're listening to this and thinking about how your life and health could be improved with Athletic Greens, then make sure to check out their website. But here's the best part. I've asked them to arrange a special deal for listeners. I have a great relationship with them. I love this product. You're going to get 20 free travel packs that's $79 in value with your first purchase. Simply go to athleticgreens.com slash James to claim this special offer. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. And give yourself a daily routine with Athletic Greens. It really will be the single best thing you can do for your health and success this year. Listen, I can't stress this enough. Do yourself a favor and jump over to athleticgreens.com slash James and subscribe today. This is available in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and E.U. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. Don't miss this. So Stephen Kotler, Peter Diamandis, this is the third time I think you've both been on together. I think, Stephen, you've been on like five times altogether because <laughs> we also you, did. You keep on inviting him instead of me. But well, you got to write more books together. So, so <laughs> abundance and bold by the two of you. And now, you know, the future is faster than you think. Uh, all three of these books are incredible. The future is faster than you think just came out is unbelievable. And it's kind of a, a, a continuation of what you started with abundance and bold. And we'll, we'll talk about those in a second. And Steven, you also wrote uh, stealing fire and the rise of Superman kind of about the flow experience. Uh, you know, both you guys, what I loved about abundance, and we talked about this briefly, I think in like, I don't know, 2014 or 2015, I felt like it was almost a really great sequel to The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. Which is an amazing book. Which yeah. an amazing book. Yeah. And, I, and so The Rational Optimist is sort of how things are basically getting better. And he describes all the different ways and charts and maps and history. And then in abundance, you guys spoke about how, how things will continue to get better. And, 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 we, and we wanted to hit people over the head with it because you've got the negative media constantly barraging us with this, you know, this baseline negativity and it colors your mindset. And unless yeah. you've got some countervailing force, force to realize the world is actually getting better in all these ways, constantly compounding faster and faster, you lose sight of what's going on. And, and why do you think the, I mean, it's not only the media, it's Hollywood too. Like when robots come awake, they're suddenly just, if they're male robots, they're suddenly shooting everybody. If they're female robots, they're doing some like, you know, sex dominatrix thing and then locking people up. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like Hollywood should be me too by robots. But uh, 
but 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 and then you have like I think you I'll know, use a, that. It's pretty a, funny. Because you see, have you seen like what was the one? Um, uh, there was her, which was okay. No, her, you're thinking about the one where Ex Machina. He, yes, Ex yeah. Machina. Her yeah. was actually uh, the only science fiction non dystopian movie out there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah her was, was good. Yeah, it was great. Still, well, okay. Her the, rest are, the rest are Terminator like movies yeah. that scare the daylights out of you. Which, by the way, and I know you know. So we'll get into your backgrounds. You know, you guys and and Peter, you're you're involved in the Singularity University. I sort of feel like that moment when robots wake up and become more human-like, people are overestimating humans. <laughs> like, it's not like they're gonna suddenly figure out how to kill everybody. It seems like, you know, I don't know, they'll stop, stop shelving on Walmart and just binge watch Game of Thrones. What else do humans, <laughs> what do humans do? <laughs> if you think about entrepreneurship, that most entrepreneurship is about, okay, I need a drone to fly in here and deliver food to me while I watch a $200 million production on the wall and just never move again. Yeah, well, here's a challenge, right? All of us are born with the same amount of seconds in a day, you know, days in a year, whether you're a billionaire or you're the poorest person on the planet. It's how you use that time that differentiates you. And so a lot of what technology is, is about making stuff faster, easier, more convenient. Yeah. James, one, to his point, the numbers, just this is the number that always catches my attention. Um, in 1900, average American did 58 hours of housework a week. In 2011, it was down to 1.5 hours. Right, we got back a, a, in my case, it's a, zero a, a, hours. A, a, pardon me? <laughs> I said, in my case, it's zero, zero hours. hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Because uh, you're a mess. Well, I was going to say, though, in my, in my case, it had been zero hours for a long time because there was one period where, and, the, and you refer to this in... Um, the crowdsourced uh, business model uh, that that's that's you know been happening. I was for two and a half years. I didn't rent or own. I just Airbnb'd. So I just had a carry-on bag. I threw out everything I owned except for a carry-on bag, and I just Airbnb'd. You know because this business model was so powerful. I didn't have to buy beds or dishes or sheets or towels. I just used what they had, and yeah. then I'd leave. No, I didn't have to do any housework at all. So th these business models do allow for zero hours potentially. Well, and, and living in hotels, which a lot of us do all the time. But it's, it is, um, we forget how amazing the world we're living in is, right? We forget that for most of human history, it was about fundamental survival. It was like, can I survive till tomorrow? Can I get food? Can I get out? Can I find a place to get out of the weather? And now we have this luxurious stuff of listening to podcasts and having gourmet food and getting books and all this stuff that, yeah, we've taken a vacation from survival, which is amazing what's going on now. Well, do you think, and, and so we're going to get into your book, uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think, which is kind of um, a sequel to, or it is a sequel to Abundance and Bold, where you basically describe specifically what's been happening with all these amazing ex exponentially growing technologies, how they're intersecting with each other, creating entire new business models that are creating millionaires and billionaires and easing our, our life, as, as you both just mentioned. And, uh, but is there, are we being too coddled by the technology? So Peter Thiel makes the point, there's really been no innovation, for instance, in software for 30 years, but you could kind of see, I could kind of understand what he's saying with that. Because uh, if you look at like, uh, you know, even if you look at AI, you mentioned, you know, generalized, you know, these neural networks, generalized adverse neural networks, they're kind of like the only innovation in AI that's really, ha other than processing speed getting faster, they're sort of the only innovation in AI that's happened in the past 
30 years. Yeah, but why why center on that one technology versus looking at innovation across a thousand other areas in CRISPR, in gene therapy, in in uh, direct, direct electric propulsion, you know, in in vehicles and so forth. You, know, you can you can narrow down to one thing, but that's very myopic. Right, and so so I do agree. Like like genomics and some of the battery technologies and, and things like that. Like genomics really seems to be a, a game changer in well, terms you of. You went to Carnegie Mellon. What about robotics? I mean. How long ago was it that robots were just completely walled off from the general population? I can now go buy a Roomba vacuum cleaner for less than I can buy a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, and and I wonder if that's a function of of both processing speed and network speed, you know, getting fast. So it a lot is, of and it is sen just, and sensors. Yeah, and sen yeah better so, sensors. So we've been so so okay. So what you guys seem to have done in all these books is take a look at well, which technologies out there have this Moore's law kind of growth. So for instance computer speed is still, you know, somewhat exponentially growing. Um, network speed with 5G is going to be exponentially growing. Um, you know, you talk about demonetization and the, and the cost of sequencing the genome has gone from a million dollars to almost zero. So every kind of hard technology is, is the cost is converging to zero uh, exponentially because of the, the speed of growth of that technology. Not every technology grows that fast. Like for instance, airplane speeds are not going to exponentially grow or it doesn't seem that way but but you list several that do uh you know 3d printing genomics or you know you know processing of of the human genome ai uh uh you know robotics uh you list you know vr ar VR. blockchain you know uh you know so the the list is is pretty extensive and they're all riding to a large degree on the back of computation without any question yeah, but then we're making some fundamental discoveries in material sciences that are enabling new approaches, uh, and then we're also making innovations in business models that never existed before, and so those things converge. And the whole book—I mean, the subtitle of the book—is uh, how convergence, uh, how converging technologies are transforming business uh, industries and our lives. And it's not just that things are getting faster, which Stephen and I really focus on, is is the convergence of two, three, four of these technologies coming together and completely reinventing industries. Right. So, so that's the innovation, I think, in this book is that it's not just about identifying these exponentially growing yeah, technologies, so let me, let but how they converge. Let me put it in context for you, simply. Abundance was about individual lines of exponential technology, computation, nanotechnology, biotechnology, energy. energy, you know, take your pick. And it was individuals, entrepreneurs, and small teams harness using these technologies to solve grand global challenges, primarily. In bold, because the big outcry after abundance was, oh my God, how do we do this, mm -hmm. right? We want to do this, how do we do this? So bold was advancing, like following the technologies out and then writing a playbook for the average entrepreneur. What's changed, what's different, as Peter pointed out a second ago, is that now these individual exponential technologies start starting to converge, right? Robotics, incredibly powerful technology, AI, incredibly powerful technology. You put them together, and suddenly if you wanna go by Oxford's numbers, and I think they're wrong, but if you go by their number, 40% of the US workforce is looking for new jobs over the next 20 years. Which, right? by the way- I think they're could, totally wrong. Yeah, I think but, they're totally wrong too, and I think it's related to your point, like all the headlines are always negative. I think it's just another brand of fear-mongering, I think new Agreed. technologies will create new industries well, and so on. The internet is always the great example, which everybody said, oh my God, it's, gonna, it's taking our jobs. It did take some jobs. For every one job it took, it created 2.6 jobs. 
That's an amazing job creation program. What do you say to people who who say this time things are different because now you're you're taking people who have like truck driver jobs and but automated driving will eliminate that on the highways and uh, these truck drivers can't be retrained for computer jobs, for instance. Are you sure? I mean, at, at the Flow Research Collective, one of the things that we are we know flow. Um, the more neurochemicals that show up during an experience, the better chance that experience will move from short-term holding to long-term storage, right? That's just how memory works. Flow is this huge neurochemical dump, which is why in experiments run by the Department of Defense, but friends of mine, colleagues of mine at Advanced Brain Monitoring, they find learning accelerated 270 to 500% in flow. We're taking, we're building, we're using VR, which is very good for triggering flow to build high flow virtual learning environments for worker retraining. We're going right at this problem using advances in biotech, in VR, in flow science. Um, so I'm not so sure. Um, and the technology to, to do what I'm talking about, it's not like it's here. It's the tech, the ability to do this is three to five years away conservatively. There's another part, which is um, the decade ahead is not about AI displacing you or robotics yeah, exactly. displacing you. It's all about collaboration, right? So the doctor, right? I went to medical school years ago and I've spent way too much time in hospitals. Are you a doctor? I'm a medical doctor by training. Right prescriptions? Do, do not, no, do not come to me for anything. I, I'm just, uh, I just got- I'm the, part of the opioid crisis. I so. got the diploma and that's <laughs> about it. But the idea right now that, I mean, there's a, today, uh, an AI is a better diagnostician at reading an MRI uh, path slides, x-rays, and so forth. There's going to be a point in the very near future where it's malpractice not to use an AI for a diagnosis, right? Because the numbers are, the work that DeepMind, one of Google's divisions is doing, they far out predict uh, disease states in patients. But what's going to happen is it's going to be a human AI collaboration, right? So the doctor does what they do better. He or she at the bedside communicating, talking to the human, and let the AI crunch the you know the the 2.3 billion or 3.2 billion you know nucleotides in your genome to figure out what's going on, and robots. Very few people wanted to become a cash register, you know, a, a cashier when they when they were a kid, or wanted to clean toilets. Right? They do this to get a job, to get food on the table or insurance, and so let the robots and the AI do the stuff that is repetitious, and let the humans do the things that are humanizing. So like, we talk that, about, well, I'm sorry to cut you off, yeah. James, but this is the one thing, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong because it's in the book. And I, but I, So BMW automated their entire line. They went completely robotic, completely AI-driven, and they didn't like it. Productivity went way down. They, it, it didn't work, and they actually had to, once they got humans back into the chain as a collaborative, as a collaboration, as Peter talked about, it was an 85% bump in productivity. That's the number I'm not sure. It may be 65, but it was somewhere 65 to 85% bump in productivity. Between zero and 100, right? Between zero and 100, <laughs> exactly. And, and um, so those employees, though, who were working on the line, what did they end up doing? Some of them came back, right? Some of the, I mean, f first of all, everybody probably lost their job when they automated it. And when they went back, I, I don't know if they brought people, new people in or old people. I don't know. It's um, the same thing happened with Tesla. When Elon put, you know, the Tesla factory, he over-automated it and he made that, he made that, uh, that correction. And it's quality control and it's the detail. The robots aren't there yet. Will they get there? Eventually, sure. Um, you know, Ray Kurzweil, and we talk about in the book, Ray Kurzweil, who's my co-founder, at Singular University predicts human level AI in 2029. 
right? By the end of this decade. And 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 define human level and AI. And by the way, I'm a I bit completely disagree with Ray. Okay. I will, I will flat out tell you, I completely Let's, disagree with Ray on so, this one. So, well, uh, yeah, but but Ray has the credentials and <laughs> yeah, background sorry, to actually Ray, make Ray, a valid <laughs> Are you saying Stephen doesn't? No, I mean, it's like, you know, the guy does drugs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Both of them probably do. Ray takes a lot of supplements, right? He does a lot of supplements, and God knows what are in those little capsules. Yeah, seriously. I don't know. He's like, We're all taking drugs. It's like 300 he's, pills a day, he's man. Micro, I've he's seen what Ray everything, takes. I'm sure, Ray. Ray, I, I love you, brother. Um, so uh, what? how he'll define it is that you're having a conversation with an AI. It's the effectively a Turing test. You can't differentiate it from a human. You're able to have a conversation. It's able to answer. It's, I mean, but... If you think about it, we've had Alexa for what, like three or four years, and Google now, and you know, with Apple, what's Apple doing? Apple HomePod, Siri, or Siri. Yeah. So all of these things are just going to get better and better and better. There is going to be a time. My and and Stephen jokes about this. I have a love affair with Jarvis from Iron Man. We're going to all have a version of Jarvis. We're all going to have an AI software shell, right? An AI that is on you, in you listens to your conversations, reads what you read, reads your emails, looks at your blood chemistries, and is constantly uh, analyzing and optimizing for you. So it knows what you want. You, you get up from the breakfast table. It knows your calendar. You're walking towards the door. An autonomous car pulls up in front of your house. It has your, here's my aura ring, measures my sleep. It knows I didn't sleep much last night, so there's a bed in the back of the car for me to get a nap. So, I mean, this is the world we're heading towards. So I, I agree with that. And all of that is sort of uh, basically assisted living, like AI-assisted living in every aspect of our lives. Oh, that's a good but, way to But it. I wonder if that's, you know, I sort of feel like when Ray talks about singularity, he's, he's referring to almost like there's a waking up point, there's consciousness. So and I'm not sure he defines a singular, close to that. He, he defines a singularity as, so one of the things is we have a whole, a chapter in the futures fast, you think, called acceleration of the acceleration. And it's the notion that while the speed of technology has been accelerating, the rate at which it's accelerating is accelerating for a number of factors that we discuss. Yes. And, you know, if you think back of it, I did this uh, for my Abundance 360 uh, summit we just finished. I look back 100 years and I searched, what were the innovations in the year 1920? Oh, wow. And I looked at everything. I mean, headlines, articles, patent and trademark office. Uh, there were four that I found, four. You want to know what they are? Yes. Okay. Uh, the first was the first commercial radio station out of Pittsburgh went online. The second was the Band-Aid. The Band-Aid was invented? The Band-Aid was in invented 20s? in 19, 1920 specifically. Let's look at Who what, invented it? It was at a, it was a worker Band -Aid. at a Band-Aid? The Band-Aid. <laughs> uh, it was at a Johnson & Johnson, one of the workers there. Uh, there was uh, the three light traffic light with red, yellow, and green was in 1920. And uh, the fourth one, um, let's see, I think it was either the Q-tip, might've been the Q-tip. But I mean, so that was it. That was the year 1920, right? And if you were to compare the rate of innovation in the year 2019, there's probably tens of thousands of things hundreds of thousands that raised to that level of uniqueness, innovation, and so forth. And it's explosion in innovation, and it's not slowing down. And so that makes the world interesting. And rate, a lot of that is predictable. I can predict computational speeds next year. I can predict a little bit better robots and so forth. The singularity is a point at which the rate of speed is so fast, it's unpredictable what happens next. 
Yeah, he did. That's he's definitely not making the argument. Um, and I made this mistake too for a while up. that exactly I, like it took me a while to realize that he's not actually making a consciousness argument. Um, he's making a, it's moving so fast. We can't tell. It's, it's across the event horizon of a black hole. So it's just like by unpredictable, it's, they're going to start making decisions, whether or not it's consciousness or not, they're going to mark, start making decisions as if they're their own. Their it's own not, it's not even brand. that it's, it's that the world is changing that the speed is the speed of change is unpredictable is is not is not predictable not unpredictable is not predictable because it's so fast if you if you were to graph anything it's now a a, a straight up vertical line um so 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 basically right now you you're, you've been describing all the technologies that are again exponentially moving up in sophistication then it's the convergence of them that is even further accelerating everything and then there's all these other aspects of society like the fact that we're we're all connected as opposed to 100 years ago we're all connected at super fast speeds uh you, you know the, the the you know we have 5G we have you know the internet we have all, all these aspects that allow us to kind of combine ideas or have what what Matt Ridley calls idea sex is are they're all they're all uh creating business models faster and faster and you describe kind of all these innovations in business models um you know, from, you know, you talked, the first one was the, the crowd economy, which you kind of include, you know, Uber and Airbnb in, but it's also like Kickstarter and, and all these other things. Lemonade. Le know, is lemonade the- Lemonade's crowd churns. Oh, okay. I didn't, I don't even know about that one. Yeah. It's, so, you know, it's a lot is, ha it's not just technologies, it's business models that are changing faster than technologies. And those are, so the book talks about the technologies, the speed of change, the business models, and then part two of the book is let's look at how these things impact all these industries. Right. Let's look at uh, the next 10 years of retail, healthcare, education, entertainment, advertising, food, finance, insurance. And, and you haven't asked, but I'm going to volunteer the answer anyway because I think it's important. Why do we write this book? Right? And it's not just to scare the shit out of people. It's actually to give people a, a vision of where things are going. Because when people most people fear the future because they don't understand it. And they're fearful that the future is going to be so different and I don't get it and I'm not in it. And when you're working out of fear, it's a really bad place for society to be. And so if we can give people a clear vision of where it's going and a hopeful vision and a compelling vision and an abundant vision, the hope is that people will be excited about it and not, you know, battling against it. So, but to, you know, it's interesting because between, let's say, Matt Ridley's book, The Rational Optimist, and then Abundance and Bold. You know, this is sort of like a a, a theme of all these books is that things, and this goes back to even Factfulness by Hans Rosling. I'd go back. Like, I'd go, or I'd Julian go, Simon. Uh, yeah, books. I start the first one, I think, in the lineage that we sort of, is, is a book by uh, Robert Wright known as Non-Zero. Um, Clint, when Clinton was president, he read it overnight, and made everybody in the White House read it. And that caught my attention. I was like, well, what the hell is this book? And it's, an, it's a book, it's a game theory book that basically says, hey, we are moving from zero-sum games, you win, I lose, to non-zero games. Either everybody wins or everybody loses, right? Nuclear war is a 
non-zero game. Either everybody wins, there's no nuclear war, or there's a nuclear war and everybody loses. But we society seems to be moving towards non-zero games, which allow much higher, greater levels of collaboration, things like that. That was the first one that I noticed. And then there was Julian, I'm going to lose his name. He's Julian a, Simon. Julian Simon, thank you. Um, he was the second. Matt came next, I think. Matt Ridley, and, right. and Matt Ridley. And then and then I think we, we picked up on some of his ideas and built it forward. And so why do you think... F people and then there's also you know you have books like Steven Pinker's book on you know the rate yeah, of violence the, century I think over century in, I think has gone down to lineage. almost zero. Uh, why do you think people are still want? They it's like they want to be pessimists. Well, our brains no, they are don't, wired. Our brains that are way. wired for it, James. This was work, worked on at Berkeley. Um, we so we gather depending on whose numbers, but the the, the physiological numbers are by, done by a guy named Manfred Zimmerman. Um, are 11 million bits of data a second. That's what flows in through our senses. The how can you measure that? How does he know um, that? I used to know how they did it. I mean, you have a visual um, field, you've got auditory field. I mean, you can you can measure it. Matter of how, just because it flows in doesn't mean we actually process it. Well, we that's process the, yeah, a that's the small fraction of well, what that, comes in. The point of the first, all that's ignored. Forget how much comes in. The first place all of it goes is your amygdala, and your amygdala. People mistakenly call it your danger detector. Um, we now know it's more of a salience detector. So if there's anything novel in the environment, right, that's what your amygdala grabs hold of. But it will find six to nine negatives for every positive that gets through because we're built for survival, right? You want to be, you want to see that it keeps us alive longer um, to bring in all that negative. And that was true in the era that we evolved, right? We evolved in an era that was local and linear. There were a lot of threats. Now, those are not the dangers we face, but you know, as Peter likes to say, we haven't had a hardware upgrade in our brain in over 200,000 years, and we still have the same filters that were set up when we were hunter-gatherers. So, so you know, speaking of the hardware upgrade in the brain, one of the technologies you talk about is kind of, uh, you know, chips implanted into the brain with AI to kind of further help us along these technologies that you describe in the book. And, you know, I know Brian Johnson, who you mentioned, he's been on the podcast. Uh, how, like, describe future man, like, given all of this, given chips in the brain, given genomics, you know, solving a lot of issues. Give us a longevity. year, future man, do, when? Do you, no, do you want me to take it out? So, first of all, I've been enjoying my chip immensely. It's been fantastic. Um, <laughs> I but, don't think but, anybody can tell that you're yeah. actually a robot. <laughs> but, but, Cyborg. So, Sorry. Where, where we are right now is... Uh, we were already doing it, right? This phone is uh, is a neural extension of my brain. Right, so it's almost like manually we can start to see the effects of what uh, uh, an actual chip in the brain well, would be. You're wearing and, a cyborg technology, right? You're wearing the, one of the first cyborg yeah, technologies, right? So um, just to, to go back to your question, it's a matter of extent. But right now, our brains are very limited, right? We think we're brilliant and so forth. We've got 100 billion neurons, 100 trillion synaptic connections. We process a fraction of what comes in we have limited memory, limited processing power, and our brain's been basically limited in size by the female birth canal. You can't get a bigger brain during birth and have the mother survive. If this is going to be an anti-feminist... No, not, no, not at all. No, not at all. It's, 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 uh, it's the fact that the way that you extend your brain is the same way that you extend the power of your cell phone. Your cell phone has a limited amount of memory and processing power, and when it needs to do something complicated it sends by 4G or 5G to the cloud, the data, it processes it on the edge of the cloud and the answer comes back to your phone. And so where we're heading is that same place where our brains will, the chips will extract the data, send it to the AI on the cloud. 
process it and send you back the answer. So the future is one where we are merging with technology. We are fully merging with technology. And one of the things I talk about, I think people are uncomfortable about the conversation, is that we are reinventing what it means to be human. We are transforming ourselves to a new level of existence. We are merging with technology one way or another. We've started the process and it's accelerating. And so today there's billions of dollars every year going into brain computer interface. I'm sure the defense departments are spending a lot. The most valuable thing in your country or in your company is the intelligence of your team. And so if you can increase that intelligence, my venture fund has investments in a couple of companies. You've got Neuralink from Elon, you've got Kernel from Brian Johnson, Ryan. you mentioned. And you know, Ray's prediction is by the early 2030s, we'll have high bandwidth brain computer interface. I'm very excited to share with you this episode with my good friends, Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. These guys just blow my mind. Both these guys have such an interesting take on health and how technology will help us optimize our health. That's why I'm so glad Athletic Greens is sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens is the company that inspired my own health evolution. I've used Athletic Greens for my own health. It tastes good. It's healthy. I like Athletic Greens because they cover all the really advanced areas of health that I started to think about only in the last few years as my knowledge and understanding of health has grown and been reshaped by this podcast. I take Athletic Greens every single day. It has all these vitamins, nutrients, antioxidants. It helps me for energy, immunity, gut health, which is so critical and is kind of a new discovery in health science, hormonal support, and something near and dear to my heart now that I'm over 50, healthy aging. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to help those critical areas of health that I just spoke about. And it's so easy to incorporate into your daily routine. I take it in the morning. I like the travel packs even when I'm just at home. So I open it, pour into water and drink, or I can travel with them. It's that easy. Plus tastes good. I hate all these health products that taste bad. This one tastes good. It's kind of nutty tasting. It makes you feel healthy before it even really enters your system. And before I tell you the deal we worked out, I'm going to give you a little more science because we did work out a deal just for you. It has everything from prebiotics and probiotics for digestion, as well as adaptogens, stress, and hormonal support. It has everything I need to ensure my body and mind is in top shape every single day. And this product isn't just for athletes. It is for anyone who wants to be on top of their game. That's why I've really outsourced my health and nutrition to Athletic Greens. So if you're listening to this and thinking about how your life and health could be improved with Athletic Greens, then make sure to check out their website. Here's the best part. I've asked them to arrange a special deal for listeners. You'll get 20 free travel packs, which has a $79 value with your first purchase. Simply go to athleticgreens.com slash James to claim this special offer. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. And give yourself a daily routine with Athletic Greens. It's so easy. It really will be the single best thing you can do for your health and success this year. I cannot stress this enough. Do yourself a favor and jump over to athleticgreens.com slash James and subscribe today. This is available in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and E.U. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. Do not miss this. I have to say, 
Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So speed is one of the things you mentioned as kind of, um, you know, accelerating all these business models. And so you combine that with something like 3D printing. So instead of if you buy a plot of land, instead of like taking two years to build a house, you just sort of 3D print a house. Or 3D well, we print tell the story of, of new story in there, right? And this is, I mean, th- this is one of the most amazing things in my mind. When we wrote Abundance, so 2012, we yeah. were reporting it. Um, we interviewed uh, Burkash Nevis at USC, and he was at the cutting edge of 3D printing construction. He built the first concrete 3d printer and it it couldn't do much but it could lay out concrete and it was a maybe and oh we're going to be able to 3d print houses by the time bold came out three and a half years later we were you know winson this chinese company had 3d printed uh, already 3d printed a single family home right 10 single family homes each for under five thousand dollars over a weekend came back five months later to the five-story apartment building then uh a couple years after that, different Chinese company, I'm going to forget the name, it's a construction company, they blended modular construction with 3D printing. They put up an enormous skyscraper in 19, it's like 157 stories in 19 days. 157 157 stories, stories in 19 days. And now in, in, in Faster, we tell the story of New Story, uh, which <clears throat> is this amazing company where they're building entire villages for the 100 homes, each under... Like, it's, 10, it's 10K. We just had Brett. Oh, Nagler you just had Brett at, at okay, Abundance 360. It's 10K. 10K a house. Uh, we'll for 3D the print poor. a house for a community. And it's a 500 square foot house, but you can 3D print the the dinner table and the benches in there and so forth. It's a beautiful, a beautiful house. And uh, I just had people raise their hands and we funded 21 houses at, at this event. And it's it's a way of giving people shelter and confidence to build a life by having their own home. So let me ask you a question. Why is that not, why is that particular technology not happening here for people who need homes or need cheap homes? Well, and there's plenty of land in the US. There is. One of it, the, so the, some of it is 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 construction codes. There, some of the issue is literally like just laws are in the way um, more than anything else. And the other, I think it's, there's a, that's a big industry that does, right, that's that's holding on very, very tightly. But this is where, this is kind of your point, is that these technologies are converging with our regulations and our, our thinking of business models. That's all going to change. There's going to be some disruption of just every, the way we've th- thought of everyday life since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. I think the example he was talking about the other day with bad and brain disease, um, I don't know if you know this story, mm-hmm. a six-year-old girl gets born... Eight. Eight? I, Eight thought, I thought she was six. All right. Gets born with bad and brain disease, a uh, genetic neurogenerative condition, totally fatal. Um, within a year. Not, not partially fatal. 
<laughs> not partially <laughs> fatal. Totally fatal. Not totally fatal is a thing, man. Okay. <laughs> fatal. You finish the story. Okay. <laughs> um, they uh, sequenced her genome, built a customized end-to-one drug specifically for her, and got it approved by the FDA in under a year. She's taking the medicine. She's getting better. My point is that that's a level of speed for the FDA to approve a drug any like that we've not seen from regulatory structures before, not really seen from governments. So I think the stuff that's standing in the way, a lot of this stuff is starting to change. I think I think government in itself is starting to wake up to the how fast things are moving, the things that they really have to govern. Are, are you ways. seeing that? Like, are you seeing from the highest levels of government that they're aware of how fast genomics is moving, how fast China is moving with genomics, how fast AI is happening in both countries and so on? So it's not that easy an answer. Um, to, to build on your last question, the point we make in the book, in the second part of the book, is every industry is going to change this decade. Not a little bit, not a few, every industry. Every single industry is going to be reinvented, reinvented. New business models, new approaches, new players, Right, healthcare and education are going to topple under their own weight, um, and the challenge is a lot of these large industries, healthcare as an example, uh, building and real estate, another, are using regulation as their shield, and that's a last resort, and that's a problem because it simply means that you have no real competitive value other than regulatory support. And it puts the government in a very difficult situation to stop or slow innovation. So certain parts of the certain parts of the government uh, are being innovative. Uh, we're seeing this to some degree in the FDA, but at the same time, the largest lobbyers in the in the United States are the pharma industry, right? So they want to protect their their situation, and it's a difficult situation. And so ultimately, what you need to do is have a product that is so much better so revolutionary, 10 times better, 10 times cheaper, 10 times more convenient that it things don't don't change gracefully, they change massively disruptively, right? It's like you put this product out and it is free and it's 10 times better compared to, and everybody shifts to that and the system comes toppling down. We saw that in retail, right? Not from regulatory support, but we saw this, this massive disruption of retail because of Amazon. We'll see the same thing in healthcare, the same thing in education. So, so let's, you know, I see all the different business models. I see all the different technologies and, and you outline it and you tell stories in the book. Let's just play a little bit. 10 years from now, given that I, I do agree, if you kind of know the exponential math behind every one of these technologies and you can see how they converge and you see the business models that are being created out of it, what do you, what, what's some fantasies we can look forward to five, 10 years from now? Well, like the, so the story we opened the book with, and, and so we opened the book uh, with a story about Uber Elevate, which is their Uber's second annual flying car aerial transportation conference. And I mentioned that for two reasons. One, flying cars, we just conducted a, a survey, a Google survey, uh, 2,600 respondents, one third of them don't think they're going to see flying cars in their lifetime, in their lifetime, forget, or two, excuse me, seven fifths or three-fourths don't think they're going to see flying cars in their lifetime. Um, don't make fun of me. <laughs> don't make fun around. of me. Um, and my, my point is Uber 
wants demonstration projects up and running by 2023, 2024, 2025. 100 different companies are in the flying car space. Every aerospace contractor in the so, world is So what is will there. that work like? Because aerospace is feels scary. So uh, air, aerospace today, I'm a pilot. Uh, aerospace is very analog and it's very last century, right? It is, uh, there's people in the, uh, in the control system reading to you over a radio with other people reading. You have to write down what they tell you and read it back to them. It's very, very challenging and, uh, and Baroque and broken. Uh, it's being fully digitized. It's being digitized for this aerial transportation layer and for drone delivery. Um, and these systems, these, these, uh, what we euphemistically call flying cars, which is a terrible name. It's like horseless buggies, right? Uh, they are driven by AI systems. They have uh, tremendous sensors. Uh, they have multiple, what they call DEP, direct electric propulsion rotors, so that one, if one fails, you don't crash like a helicopter. You have, you have graceful degradation in the systems. But Uber has designed a system called Uber Elevate with these... Um, these skyports, these large structures at intersections, intersection of the 405 and the 10 or in downtown LA next to Dodger Stadium or at the beach. And these aerial vehicles fly node to node. When you land, you're picked up by an autonomous Uber and taken to the endpoint, right? So it's a hub and spoke type system, uh, but it's about speed, convenience, and safety. And these things will have... Uh, super high degrees of safety. And as Stephen said, uh, people, this survey that we did to understand how much do people actually know about what's going on? Lab-grown meats, autonomous cars, flying cars, solar power, all of these things. And people are way off by decades. And so again, part of the reason is for people to get the book, to get a vision of what's happening in the next 10 years so that you're not, you're not scared by it or uh, shocked by it that you can anticipate what's coming. And, and your point is, is that it's not just that these single technologies are growing fast, but that the the rate of acceleration, almost like the so third derivative of three, change, it's three yeah, things. It's called, right. it's yeah. called jerk, by the way. Well, what's it's yeah, that's right? what it's the name for it. Yeah, I mean the the derivative of acceleration in physics. I always oh, hate I that term. That. Yeah, it's called jerk. So that's funny. Yeah. Um, one, you've got individual lines of exponential technologies converge, right? And whenever that happens, you get a whole is greater than the sum of parts effect. Two, you have seven forces, new business models being one of them, uh, communications abundance, a couple other things that we talk about um, that are accelerating our accelerations, right? These are second order effects, but they're all kicking in. They all massively increase the rate of innovation in the world. And those, those are the two big drivers that are pushing it forward. And the thing that I think you want to hit is we're going to see, you know, more change in the next 10 years than we've seen in the past 100 years, right? So go back to 1920, go to now. That's why, you know, Peter gave you that 1920 example. Go to now. That's what we're going to see in the next 10 years. In fact, when Ray did the math, um, he found that we're going to experience 20,000 years worth of technological change over the 21st century, right? So by the end of the century, 80 years from now, we're going birth of the industrial revolution, birth of agriculture to the industrial revolution twice. And let's say he's off 
by 50%. Let's say he's, I mean, he's rarely wrong at all. Let's say he's colossally wrong this time and he's off by 50%. So we're only going to get 10,000 years of change in the next 80 years. I mean, are you kidding? And so, and so, right. So let, so again, let's keep, let's keep playing. So you have a growth in genomics, growth in energy, growth in AI and big data. There is, there, there's so much superhuman capabilities. Like just take genomics as an example. You mentioned in the book that because of CRISPR combined with the idea that we're identifying all these single mutation diseases, CRISPR is good for changing, you know, one gene at a time. So we could eliminate all of these. I think forget if you said 16,000, 32,000 so out of the 50,000 that are single gene mutations, yeah. but many diseases or many, um, genetic traits are multiple gene. Um, but so you combine genomics with big data and AI. And you could suddenly start figuring out what are these multiple multiple gene diseases or traits. Like maybe yeah. IQ is a trait that's sixteen genes. And I, I could imagine if as AI speeds up and as uh, you know big data gets collected, because now you mentioned that we're we're collecting the human genome for for everybody, uh, so we could start studying that. What does that look like ten years from now? Because then then that's really the rise of the Superman, the superhuman. So it looks like a few things. Number one. Uh, one of the big impacts we write about this in the book is a healthier, longer life, right? A, a, a health span of a hundred years is a near term possibility in the next 10 or 20 years. <coughs> and that extra 10 or 20 years buys you additional breakthroughs that extends your life even longer. Um, it buys you the ability to eliminate genetic disease from the population. Uh, you know, this year we saw for the first time the FDA approve a sickle cell anemia treatment using CRISPR. Uh, we saw gene therapy. CRISPR is where you go in and you, you like a word processor, edit a few letters or a single letter of the 3.2 billion nucleotides in your genome. Gene therapy is when you use a virus, like a little robot syringe to inject the right gene into your bone marrow or liver that's missing. We talk about curing bubbled boy disease by using gene therapy. Um, so all of a sudden we're, we're able to take people back to baseline and there will be a point at which I think it becomes immoral not to, <clears throat> not to correct your child's disease, right? If you know that you're carrying a dangerous trait and that that trait is fatal or disabilitating to your child and you don't take action, is that moral <coughs> or not? You know, it's interesting because you've used this, this sort of kind of uh, almost re reverse analogy of the dystopian future a couple of times, which is to say it's malpractice to not use the advanced technologies in, in diagnosis. It's immoral to not cure the, the, the case of disease. It might be also from a global political level, uh, uh, you know, bad politics to not keep up with robotics or 3d printing the way China is. And, you know, they'll probably be 3d printing guns or tanks or whatever, who knows? And or houses or organs or kids' toys, right? And organs is like, so again, you're combining, you know, 3D printing with nanotechnology, with genomics research. So so now I'm curious, given all this change is is certainly coming and it's inevitable, I, I really am fascinated by the, the different business models you identify. So again, the first was the, the crowd economy, which I think we've we've more or less done. Right, so it's like we do crowdsourcing in lots of ways. I mean, it'll continue to happen, but 
We know what it is. It's ICOs were definitely the like the latest, right? The latest big thing that we saw. In, initial right. coin offerings. Initial right. coin offerings. Yeah, that, this, right. this decentralized the, funding of companies as opposed to in a stock market or in a very coordinated, you know, pro, you know, VC world or whatever. It's you know these these decentralized funding of, it's of higher velocity ideas. of money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the higher velocity, the speed of money is very important. If everybody just holds their money in the bank, nothing. No innovation gets funded. If everyone's eager to fund innovation and then the innovation pays off in a few years, then you have the money again to invest in the next technology and so on. And now, and this is kind of an, uh, uh, an argument that's very on topic in today's political environment. Billionaires have high speed of money because they have extra, they have billions of cash lying around. So you, you mentioned several companies and innovations happening here. They're all funded by Bill Gates, who's probably investing the most in these in innovations right now. So as far as a single individual. So then this next one you have is the, the free data economy. We know what that we is. We know what that like is. Facebook, that, yeah. Twitter. So we get all this data. Facebook knows so much about us that we could start doing the predictions you mentioned earlier. Like, oh, we're walking down the street and we see a billboard flash just for us on a book we might have liked on Facebook. Or The future knows. is faster than you think. That's right, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so uh, but, but in terms of free, free data, and again, People have these quasi-arguments against privacy. You're not really discussing that. But where do you see the next evolution in that business model? In the data model? Yeah, the free slash data model. So we're heading towards a time where you're going to be able to know anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. And it's one of the biggest ideas that no one's talking about, and I want everybody to hear this, right? So today, any one of us can go and, and win 30 seconds. You can even try it right now. What's the GDP of Ghana? Right, you just open your phone, you Google it, and you say, you know, what's the GDP of Ghana? I'll I'll, I'll do that in a second. Oh, uh, my my wife, you lived in Ghana for a long time, but she's oh, not here. okay. So I thought maybe um, she could tell us right off. But the top you know, branch. so <laughs> but if I if I ask you, uh, what's the street right out here? Seventy uh, eighth. Okay, if I asked you how many red cars came down Seventy eighth Street, you say I don't know, but it's knowable. So we're heading towards a point where. We have this massive sensor layer, a trillion sensors by the end of this year, 100 trillion sensors by the end of 2030. So what does that mean? Forward-looking cameras from augmented reality, a single autonomous car going down the street is generating 750 megabytes of data from its LIDAR, its cameras, its radar, and so forth. Drones flying over, thousands of satellites in space, all of this. And I can ask my AI to tap into that sensory layer and tell me, how many red cars? I can also start to say, I'm in fashion design. What's the average spectral color of a man's blouse on Madison Avenue today? Has it changed? Can you correlate it with an ad campaign from any time in the last month? You can start to have access, you can start to ask questions never answerable before. And so like in that last question, what what use is that? Like how would I use that? Or what what's the business that if would I, ask if these I'm, questions? If I'm uh, a manufacturer and want to know what the trends are, I can get yeah for it, anybody on the cutting edge of fast fashion, which or, is right or any trends, right? Or, right. or yeah, any, yeah, any, any trends. Trend, you, but, you can know right now, and then you can start to ask questions like, "Does it correlate with the weather or the temperature?" You can start to find correlations that were never knowable before. Before, what you had to do was you hired experts, you know, who had an opinion, and it wasn't data driven. They might do some surveys and so forth, but now the data is fundamentally there, and you can start to do machine learning correlations and say, oh, this is how the human brain reacts. In fact, this is how 18-year-old teenage girls and, you know, and 87-year-old, you know, octogenarian guys react to this. And particularly if, um, 
if manufacturing, if that speeds up with like 3D printing, for instance, you could change the entire fashion line you're delivering overnight once you realize the trend on Madison Avenue is changing. Well, it's better than that. It becomes customized to the individual's desire. In other so words, I can subscribe to a box that's drone delivered to me or that contains my perfect fashion. I go into a VR uh, store and everything in that store is exactly my size. Everything in that store, I have an AI agent that says, hey, Peter, where you go? what do you need? I'm going to a formal event tomorrow. And it says, you want to see formal wear? Sure. And there's a VR fashion show on the, on the catwalk of avatars of me walking past me wearing different outfits. And I say, I like that one. And I'm wearing it. And I'm looking in the mirror in my, in my virtual self. And I say, that looks good. I wonder what it looks like with my shoes in my closet. I've got a digital twin from everything in my closet. And I'm wearing those shoes. I say, that's it. I want it. It is manufactured immediately to my exact body shape and size to the millimeter that file is known and then shipped to me later that day. You know, and I can imagine some form of deep learning happening as well. So let's just say all of these sensors are connected to some larger cloud of computers. And so all of this is get all of your choices are getting and all of your choices and all of everybody's choices in this room are being sent up to some cloud. And then at the end of the your 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 evening in the formal event it also will know if you're happy or sad. And so it'll kind of like, oh, if someone with Peter's dimensions and, and background and outlook on life picked out these clothes and later on is happier then the next person who walks in with sort of your characteristics, it'll, it'll kind of learn, hey, we can recommend this for you. Yes, and it gets better than that. Yeah. There is a concept- It's always gonna get better than that. There's a concept called intentionality. And so uh, the future augmented reality glasses we're wearing, stylish glasses like yours, will have uh, cameras. We'll have right. cameras looking back at our pupils, and our, it will know our AI, our personal version of Jarvis, will know where we're looking at all times. And if it sees me linger on your sweater, um, it'll note that. And if I'm having a conversation with Stephen here, and I say, Stephen, that's a beautiful, you know. I love the thin black tie you're wearing. It'll remember that. So my desires and intentions are building a file, a shape file that eventually you say, listen, I need something to wear tomorrow, get it for me. And your AI will have a pretty good idea of what to buy for you. But not only for no, you, hold for yeah, all me... other people like you, if somebody like you spends a lot of time looking at thin black ties, the drone, your drone box that week or that day sure. might drop off a thin back line. Mm -hmm. You might say, I never realized I wanted this, but this is kind of cool. Yeah. Because everyone like you, it learns in the cloud. Likes Surprise thin and black ties. Yeah. We, you know, one of the, the technology Peter was just describing with eye tracking and, and personal AIs, one of the examples to get out of fashion, we talk about real estate and the reinvention of real estate and how in very soon you're looking for, doesn't matter, home, office, whatever, First of all, it's going to all take place in the virtual, but your real estate agent, which is basically the last remaining human in the real estate equation <laughs> these days, um, is going to go away because why would you want a real estate agent showing you what they think you may like? Your AI has been eye-tracking, right? Every time you go to look at a house, it knows what you like, what you don't like, and it's going to very soon start to know you better than you know yourself. And we saw this you know, in Stealing Fire, we wrote about Ellie. Ellie was the AI psychologist developed by the Department of Defense. Soldier suicide was an increasing problem. And the best way to prevent soldier suicide is early detection of PTSD and signs of depression. And they couldn't, the military couldn't do it at scale. 
So they hired uh, scientists at USC and they built Ellie in the world's first AI psychologist, right? It's affective computing. She at the time, and I, I had a session with Ellie and it's like talking to a shrink. Um, she was reading, I think it was 60 different IQs, vocal tone, personal cues a second. And this was five years ago. But was um, she concluding anything from deep learning or off just from man-made programming? Uh, both. It was both. And, it, and the deep learning element, my understanding is it's getting uh, the DOD wants to roll out LA in, in, for all veterans. And I, my understanding is there's good, there's a deep learning layer going in. I could be wrong. And this chipper, the skippers on some of the other people involved in it, I haven't talked to in a, a little while. But this level of affective computing, understanding how we feel. I mean, we don't talk, we talk about this, I think in the cards, the craziest one in my mind because people don't expect it. So autonomous cars are coming this year, right? Autonomous taxes. So the LIDAR detector that sits on top, your car, if you're an autonomous car, you need to be able to look 100 yards down the road and know if the pedestrian is gonna run in front of traffic or not. The way to do that is face reading, right? Reading emotional cues off the face. A person's really angry. Well, wow, this ups the percentage chance that they're gonna dash into traffic. They wanna get across the street if they're really calm, they don't. So our cars are going to know what we're feeling, right? <laughs> and possibly better than we we do. So we're not very long. We like to think as human beings that we're very special machines. Like we're very, we're unique. We're not, but we're made up of cues and they're readable by machines. So like very soon, our eyes are going to know us better than we know ourselves. So, so other than reading I mean, alongside reading abundance, bold, and then the future is faster than you think. How should people kind of prepare for this from a career perspective? So someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I'm driving to my cubicle at Procter & Gamble. Every, not only is my job going to be eliminated, but every other possible career choice I could think of is being eliminated. What, but obviously people are going to have jobs. How do people prepare? We have the same answer to this, I think, which is. Did, did you steal mine or did I steal yours? I'm going to steal both yours, by the way, and not give any credit at all. So, so give it up right now. I, look, first of all, you got to start with what you're most passionate about, right? You absolutely got to start with what you're most, the way I always tell people is, is start with 25 things you're curious about. Look for places, multiple curiosities intersect. Where multiple, a lot of curiosities are intersecting, that's a great passion point, right? Here's the intersection of a bunch of different things I'm G curious about. Give me an about. example. All right, I'll give you two. So, and it always, when I always, when I train people in this, I always say be as specific as possible. So don't tell me you're interested in football or nutrition. Tell me you're interested in the mechan the pass blocking mechanics required to play left tackle and, or tell me that you're interested in insects as a food source, right? Those are two wildly disparate things, but hell, you need nutrition to play left tackle. So are insects a good protein source for football? That's an intersection, right? And all I tell people to do is find those intersections and play there, play there for a while learn the brain likes to learn a little bit at a time so 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes a day do this for a while at the intersection of multiple technologies and then once you find or multiple curiosities once you find something that really fits your passion right then make a list of 10 major problems in the world you want to see solved peter and i have been saying for a really long time if you want to make a billion dollars help a billion people so find a massive problem in the world that you want to see solved link that links up with your technology and go there. Yes, I mean, of course we're going to, jobs are gonna come, jobs are gonna go. I mean, I'm in publishing, my, you know, 
twice in my career, I've had to reinvent my career from absolute zero because my industry has completely gone away. We were talking before we got started about your adventures in in going broke, right? Like, um, (laughs) adventures in going broke. (laughs) More like disasters in going broke. (laughs) Disasters. Tragedies in going broke. So you mentioned five kids? Yeah. So I've got two boys, eight years old. And the one question I'm asked by a lot of folks at Singularity University at Abundance 360, my speaking is, what advice do you give your kids? All right. And um, so it depends what age. I mean, if your kids are in high school going into college, uh, you know, the careers that are booming right now, obviously all things data science, machine learning, AI, you know, instant job anywhere you want. Another field, you know, genomics, all things biotech are being extraordinarily uh, vibrant and getting more so. So those are sort of like two areas. But for the kids, um, I I think my obligation for my kids is threefold. Number one, it's helped them find their passion. There's nothing more important. Everything how do you help them do that? Well, uh, so I'll answer that in a minute, but everything I've ever done He hits came, in the mouth like once a day and says, what are you passionate about? No, this is serious. Every, 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 when I was a kid, my passion was space. It was Apollo and Star Trek. That caught me. My parents wanted me to become a doctor and it was Apollo and Star Trek that lit me on fire and everything I've ever done and learned was driven by that personal passion to go there. So a lot of times it just, you can't do anything other than let them follow what they want to do expose them to as much as you can. Never call anything they're doing silly because I have many friends uh, who are making millions of dollars doing podcasts, doing YouTube videos, creating games. And these things would have been considered non-careers, you know, a decade ago. And now they're, you know, very vibrant careers. So you can't pre-guss anything. So help them find their passion, the first thing. The second thing is in a world where you can know anything, anytime, anywhere, we talked about before, doesn't matter what you know, what matters is the questions you ask, right? So it's, I play the game with the kids, ask great questions. Who can ask a better question? It's getting them to ask crazy open-ended questions. And then finally, grit, not giving up. Well, you guys, first off, I want to thank you for the book Abundance, which started this discussion of all these amazing technologies and everything you wrote about there. Uh, you know, eight years ago almost has been coming true. And then bold when it, when you talked about how all these industries are going to be disrupted and you have your <coughs> six Ds of, of disruption, all of that has been coming true amazingly. The future is easier than you think. This is like a Bible for the future of the next five, 10, 20 years. And, and here you really kind of combine how these technologies are going to exponentially uh, work together faster and faster, plus the business models that will incorporate them. It's already given me ideas, I think, you know, hopefully beyond this book of how, you know, business models that can be created or businesses that can be started or even creativity that could happen. We didn't talk about how creativity will change with all this, but that's going to be interesting. You talk about this in the book, but it's just a fascinating topic. And you mentioned it right now, like who would have thought Instagram influencer was going to be a career 10 years ago. And uh, again, what's, what's the next book? Are you going to write a book again? I feel like the next book's going to be written by robots by you guys. Steven, um, go ahead. So we, uh, we do know what we're writing next. We do know what we're writing next because uh, two years from now is the 10-year anniversary of abundance and all the, you know, energy, healthcare, poverty, all the things we've addressed in abundance, the progress we've made in the past decade. I think 
It's stunning. I, it's I, stunning. Use, I think it far exceeds. I have to go back and really look, but I think the, what's actually happened, you know, we wrote the book and everybody was like, oh, you guys are crazy, too optimistic. And as you said, almost every one of those things not only has come true, but I think we were too conservative and with the exception of biofuels and Mazdar, which are the two things we missed <laughs> on in abundance. We did two errors, everything else we were right on, I think. Um, but where we were wrong about it is we were massively, we were super conservative in comparison to what has happened. So we're going to redo abundance for abundance revisited is our working title. We may by abundance 2.0. And abundance I think that's reducts. important given the kind of fear mongering of what all of these technologies are going to do to society and jobs. like for, for whatever reason, it seems like people put a line in the sand that everything going forward now, technology is just going to be bad. It's going to cost yeah. jobs. It's going to create misery. And it's just not true. It's so, never been true. By the way, for, for listeners, um, uh, if you go to futurefasterbook.com uh, and you order a copy of The Future's Faster and you think you'll get a digital copy of Abundance and Bold as a bonus for free. And by the way, sign up for your Abundance 360 newsletter. Uh, uh, Abundance Insider, yeah. Yeah, Abundance but, Insider. I, I get the... I get a newsletter all the time and there's a, always, you, you kind of describe a new technology and then what this means, it's great. Thank you. So, and Stephen, where should people get, uh, you've written so much great stuff on Flow. Next time you're here, let's talk more about that. And wh where should people find Stephen you? StephenCotler.com is great. Um, and you can, if you're interested in the Flow stuff, uh, flowresearchcollective.com. So either of those. All right, well, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Stop by again as, you know, or or... I don't know, VR, holograph yourselves in here and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll chat more anytime. Awesome. Thank you, James. Thanks. Thanks. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.